What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. As you probably already know, this is going to be part two of the Holly Bobo episode we're doing. If you haven't listened to part one, go back and do that first so that you're all caught up. We do have some updates about everyone's favorite Madison Bell. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh my gosh, I was like, what? We didn't agree to this. <laughs> we have some updates about everyone's other favorite, Lori Vallow and company, Chad Daybell. Yeah. Do you want me to talk about those quickly first? Yeah, because I don't know what they are. <laughs> um, so in the last few days, there's been a few updates. Both Lori and Chad have been charged with more charges in connection to the disappearance and death of the children. So Laurie has been charged with two new counts of conspiracy to commit destruction, alteration or concealment of evidence. So those charges are additional to the ones where, let's say, she abandoned her kids and asked a friend to lie for her. She's still in jail on a million dollars bail. And Chad was charged with the same two charges, which were felony counts of conspiracy to commit destruction, alteration or concealment of evidence. This all came about after the police searched his home again on Tuesday, which I found quite interesting because we know that, I think we spoke about it in the podcast, that the house had already been turned back over to the family. I know someone said Mm -hmm. that one of Chad's kids was trying to get rid of mulch from the house. Like, I just can't believe that the house was already turned over and then they went and did another search that more charges resulted from. So that seems a bit, oh, I don't know if, how I feel about that. But anyway, they, there was um, both Chad and Laurie have appeared in court again this week via Zoom. We've put the video of Laurie up on our page um, in it. She seems to be crying. I know, you know, we've asked people if they thought she's crying. Some people said maybe she got something in her eye. <laughs> But, yeah, I um, believe that before I believe she was crying. <laughs> it was probably the most seemingly remorseful or seemingly sad that I've seen her, but, you know, who knows what she was sad over. Is she sad because she got caught? Is she sad that she can't see Chad? You know, we don't actually know. Is she know. sad because she doesn't have her Jolly Rancher lipstick? <laughs> the other thing is on that Zoom, Colby, her son, was on there, which I also found interesting. Like, So there was, I think, four screens and Colby and his girlfriend were one. So maybe she was upset because she misses Colby and maybe he's a light spirit. But um, <laughs> it, it was just interesting. Chad is also on Zoom. His isn't that interesting. The other thing I found when Laurie appeared on Zoom is that she asked for them to refer to her as Laurie Daybell and not Laurie Vallow. So it seems the love is still going strong between her and Chad. Still prevailing. Yeah. And there was one other interesting thing as well where they asked her attorney um, if he had ever represented someone else in the case and he said no which is basically a lie because he did represent Chad for a very short time so I don't know I don't know what the deal with that is like if anything will come with that if he I don't know what the definition of representing someone is you know but I just thought that was an interesting little aside from the charges being read out and sorry one more thing I want to add to Nelly forgot about Valo the Valo case is that it has been confirmed with the new court documents that Tylee was dismembered and burned, hopefully, after she was, I'm assuming you can't be dismembered while you're alive, but I'm hoping that she was dead before she was burned anyway. So yeah, that's hopefully. a very sad confirmation. Um, one other case that's blown up this week <clears throat> is the case of missing woman Vanessa Gillian. I think I say her name right, Vanessa Gillian. She was a woman who went missing, a soldier, I think, who went missing from Fort Hood in April. Um, Her case didn't get a whole lot of attention until fairly recently, 
Salma Hayek joined the search for her, I guess, and posted some social media about her missing. And there's also a hashtag called I am Vanessa Guian. So that was kind of gathering steam. But she was last seen in the barracks at Fort Hood on April 22. Um, so this went on and on. We, we actually did a blog post about this and another man who went missing from Fort Hood, Gregory Weddle. Um, we wondered if there was something going on there. And it turns out that there's quite a lot of shady stuff happening in Fort Hood. Um, we've actually got a thread in the group about it now. And in the last few months, there's literally been tens of people, like people all the time getting shot, dying in mysterious car crashes. Like it's just seems like there's some crazy stuff going on there. So they found Gregory's remains maybe two weeks ago now or 10 days ago. And on June 30, so just a few days ago, they did another search for Vanessa near the Leon River and they found human remains. So Tim Miller from Texas EquiSearch was leading that search and he came out basically straight away and said that the remains were Vanessa. Her family, I know, were a little bit more hesitant to confirm it is her. And I don't know if, you know, it's been totally confirmed by the medical examiner, but the family attorney has said that the remains are believed to be her. Whoever, Mm -hmm. which we know now probably did it, but whoever concealed her remains covered her with lime and also poured concrete on her to try and, you know, make sure that she wasn't discovered, which clearly didn't work. But the day after that the remains were found, a man killed himself um, after he was confronted by police. So they released a statement saying that he was wanted in connection with a Fort Hood criminal investigation. They didn't confirm which case it was, but it came out that it was a man called Aaron Robinson and he had been wanted in connection to Vanessa's disappearance. His wife, oh no, sorry, it wasn't his wife, his partner um, at the time, Cecily Aguilar, she has been arrested it's just crazy. Like Cecily's husband, so she was with Aaron now, but she had an ex-husband. He was shot at a few weeks ago. It's just unbelievable the stuff that is actually going on there. It just seems like there's things happening left, right and centre and it's all just swept under the rug. Um, so we started a thread for it in the group and I know someone on there posted that they were in were stationed in Fort Hood for a while and the amount of human trafficking that happens there is unbelievable. There's been, I know, um, cases in the past where the person who was in charge of SHARP, which is the Sexual Harassment Assault Response and Prevention Program, was caught running a human trafficking ring. So I just don't know what is going on there. One other thing I found was, or Steph found, was an interesting comment on Reddit from someone whose son was stationed in Fort Hood. And I'll just read a little bit of it, but it says, My son was stationed there and it was brutal for him. It has taken him three years to start recovering from what happened to him. It's not my story to share, but I will say it's been bad for a while and it impacted him deeply. He was setting records before being stationed there and after six weeks, he was so distraught that he was losing all hope. He reached a point where he would rather be in jail than be there. Luckily, he got out, but it was not without cost. So I know in Vanessa's case especially, there's been talk of sexual harassment. Um, They initiated an investigation into that in June. So who knows, hopefully more will come out. At this stage, that's all we know about the motive, I guess, for why she might have been murdered. But hopefully in the next few days we'll find out more. When I was just trying to read a little bit more about it, um, that the only like real connection that they've discovered so far, that's come out so far, is that they were co-workers but worked in different buildings. Yeah, like I know he was... um, I think, I'm pretty sure he was stationed on Fort Hood, I'm assuming, still at, this, at the time. It says they weren't, like, in the same 
like line or whatever military term. I don't know. But that they also were in different buildings, so they didn't really like cross paths regularly. Yeah. So. We made a, um Instagram post where we linked Cecily and Aaron's um, profile, so you can check them out on there. But, like, for instance, she made, Cecily made a post in April, which was after, Vanessa, it was a few days after Vanessa went missing. People who fight fire with fire end up with the ashes of their own integrity. So I don't know, whatever that means. Deep. And, yeah, you know, she seems like a bit of a, it so says cool. on her, her Instagram bio, she's both fire and ice. Thick thighs, pretty eyes. She's a beauty with a beast vibe. What is this, like 2002? (laughs) Anyway, so it's very sad. Like I know Vanessa's family had trouble drumming up media for her case at the start, and I'm glad that it kind of built up over time, but it is sad how hard they had to push, and it's obviously Mm -hmm. the outcome is horrendous. So hopefully we'll learn a bit more in the next week or so about that case, but Everyone seems to be into it, so I just thought I'd mention it this for this week. Yeah, be interesting to see mm. what happens. And I know Unsolved Mysteries came out on Netflix, I believe, and I was yeah came it. out July one. I was so excited because I used to love that show when I was growing up. Um, it's a little bit different if you haven't watched it yet, but so there's no host or narrator really now which is interesting. Mm. And I've only watched the first episode, to be clear, but we have threads for all of them in the group every episode if you want to come and have a chat. But the one I watched last night was about Ray Rivera, which was actually a really, really good one to start with. I've never heard of his case before, but he went missing, I think, in 2004 in Baltimore. They found his car and then they eventually, maybe I shouldn't spoil it. Anyway, I'll just quickly say, but (laughs) they eventually found his body in a conference room of a hotel. But the episode goes through, you know, basically there's no way that he could have gotten in there. What the police said happened, there's basically no way that he could have done it. Um, like they mm. found a hole in the roof and they're saying, you know, he fell through the hole, but they go through and they do all the, the logistics of jumping from a building and all that, and there's no way he could have landed where he did. So, anyway, I recommend checking it out. I haven't seen all the episodes. I know someone said I think episode three is all in French, which is interesting with subtitles. So. Check it out. Let us know what you think. I mean, I enjoyed the first episode and hopefully the rest will be as good. I'll check it out and let you know what I think. <laughs> yeah, let us know next time. All right. So this episode, we're going to talk about the trial against Zach Adams for the murder of Holly. His trial started on September 11th, 2017. So that's six years six. almost since or over six years. I don't know. I'm bad at counting. Just over six years, six and a half years. And three years since her body was found? Yeah. So his trial it included nine days of testimony, one day of jury deliberations, and another day for his sentencing. A lot of information came out during the trial. So I'll go over some of the bigger highlights from the days that I think are the most interesting and contribute the most to the story. Um, The trial was actually all recorded, so you can see all of it online if you just search it. I got a lot of this information. There's a Reddit user named History Mystery. They're always posting about true crime and stuff. Um, They did a lot of great threads and summaries and posts like during the trial. So if you want to check those out, we'll link them in the blog. But I just wanted to credit them for their summaries. So one thing about this trial to keep in mind, I guess the outcome is still hotly debated on whether or not 
Zach and his pals actually did it or not, because there really is no DNA evidence connecting them specifically to what happened. Yeah. So the prosecution's basically depending on circumstantial evidence and just people testifying. So keep that in mind as you listen along and make your opinion. The trial begins with opening statements from Zach's defense attorney, who is Jennifer Thompson. And I think there's a few prosecutors, but the one who did the opening statement kind of seems like the main lead guy is the assistant district attorney, Paul Hagerman. So in the opening statements, each attorney explains what they believe the evidence is going to show the jury. So I'll just go over briefly what their thoughts are. Mm -hmm. The prosecution said that Zach bragged about Holly's abduction, rape, and murder, saying he, quote, couldn't have picked a prettier bitch. That's what he apparently told someone. Jason Autry would testify that he wasn't there for the abduction, but he was summoned to Shane Austin's trailer after going there to get morphine. He found Shane, Zach, and Dylan there. Holly was wrapped in a blanket in the back of Zach's truck. Jason was allegedly asked to help dispose of the body after Zach had raped and killed her. From there, they were going to put her in the Tennessee River and, quote, gut her so she didn't float up. But suddenly, Holly moved, and they realized that she wasn't dead, which prompted Zach to pull out a gun and shoot her in the head. On the way back, Jason said to Zach, how did this bitch end up in your truck? To which he replied, we took her, me and Shane. We took her, shot her up with drugs. We raped her. We thought we killed her. The defense is claiming that Zach is 100% innocent. Like I said before, it kind of seems like they have a lot going for them because there isn't a ton of evidence against him. It also seems like they're trying to convince the jury that Dylan's confession was coerced and his confession is what ultimately led to their arrests. Like I said last episode, um, remember his mom was saying that she saw the video of his confession and she felt like he was beaten down into it, kind of like Brandon Dassey and making a murder. So to add to that, Evidently, a retired police officer named Dennis Benjamin was friends with the Bobo family and began investigating the case. In the course of his investigation, he came to talk with a man by the name of Victor Dinsmore. I know I mentioned him briefly last episode. He is also offered immunity on gun charges to testify in the trial. He's one of their, he's one of Zach and Jason Shane's drug friends. Yep. This retired police officer came to talk with Victor. Victor was a person of interest because he had past rape convictions and he lived close to where her body was found. And some of Holly's personal belongings were found by his home. So the defense says that this officer, he went to speak with him. He denied any involvement. And police told Victor that Zach was trying to claim that Victor was his alibi for that day. And apparently Victor told this police officer that Zach Adams is their guy And to get to Zach, they should go through his brother Dylan because Dylan is slow. So the defense alleges that the state used unethical investigatory techniques (laughs) to coerce a confession from Dylan. In 2014, Dylan was arrested on federal gun charges that would have ended in a lengthy prison sentence. The prosecutor, who was also handling the Bobo case, arranged a no-jail plea deal on the condition that Dylan go live with this retired police officer <laughs> who Dylan didn't know or anything. It's very weird. So messed up. I know. We were talking last time when we recorded. Imagine if someone did that. Even like this was only three years ago or whatever. Or six I feel years like today ago, there would be like uproar. 
I don't know if it's because small town and just no one noticed or cared. But well, yeah, why? And even Dylan's mother. I know. Why, that's what know? I was thinking. What did she think? Yeah, it's very, it seems very, very odd that that was able to get through somehow. Yeah. So five weeks later, the officer calls 911 to report that he had someone in his home who wanted to confess <laughs> to the murder of Holly Bobo. How convenient. Despite the fact that his confession led to the arrest, much of what Dylan said anyways doesn't really match the evidence that they do have. So it's all just kind of a weird mess. Yeah. So on the first day after the opening statements, Holly's parents, her brother, her boyfriend, and various neighbors testified to establish a timeline of the morning that she went missing. Probably Karen Bobo and Clint Bobo's are the most interesting, so I'll go over those a little bit more. Notes that I took from when Karen testified, she said when she got up, Holly was studying on her bed. Holly asked for a muffin for breakfast. Karen made Holly's lunch for the day before she left for work. Remember in the last episode, we were talking about how Clint thought that the guy that he saw with Holly was her boyfriend, Drew. And when the mom, he spoke with the mom, he said that he saw her outside with Drew and the mom immediately was like, that's not Drew, get a gun and shoot him. And a lot of people thought that was strange of her to just jump to that conclusion. But it turns out she knew it wasn't Drew because on her way to work that morning, Holly called her because Drew was hunting on Holly's grandmother's property, Karen's mom's property. And some of her cousins were there and were giving him a hard time about it, asking if he had permission to be there. So Holly called her mom upset about this, wanted her mom to call, smooth things over. So her mom calls, talks to Drew, talks to grandmother. Everything's fine. So then she calls Holly again to let her know everything's okay. And that was the last time she talked to her. But that is why she knew that that wasn't Drew. So at work, a school secretary came and told her that one of the neighbors called, heard screams from their home, which is what prompted her to call Clint, and they had that discussion. Tell the jury what happened. I hadn't been in the cafeteria very long, and um, the secretary of the school came to the cafeteria, and she said that the neighbor had called and said she didn't want to alarm me, but she thought she heard screams coming from the house. So that's not a phone call that I got every day. I never gotten a phone call like that, so I almost instantly got into a panic at that point, walking pretty fast back to the in the school because our cafeteria is outside the school so i go back inside the building and i i went and used the phone and i called where did you go you said you go back in the building where to the library uh, to the closest phone i could get to which was normally would have been the office phone but i must have looked over there and there were pig parents bringing their kids in so that's why I used the library phone but I called Clint and I asked my son Clint what's going on and he said did Holly not have school today and I said yes why and he said well, I think she's out here with Drew and I I don't know what made me say it I just this instant panic came over me and I said that's not Drew call all the neighbors I think is what I said and then I ran over to the office and I called 911. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I remember they said it was Henderson County. We live in Decatur County, so I hung up. 
I think I fell on the floor at that point. And I guess I called Clint back, but I don't really remember now if it was from the library phone or the office phone. And he was still talking about, was Holly not going to school today when she turkey hunting with Drew? And I said, that's not Drew. And at some point I said, get a gun and shoot him. And I remember Clint saying, you want me to shoot Drew? One of her coworkers drove her home. She left her cell phone at work because she was so frantic. And from the car is where she called 911, which is the call that we played in the last episode. So they also play that call at the trial. And after listening to the call, they go through photos of their home to kind of help the jury establish a layout. They show her pictures. She tells them where's what's what. So then Karen is shown a pair of Holly's underwear and is asked to explain what they are. She's basically, she's basically asked to identify these items that they're going to show. They showed her a pair of underwear. Holly's mom recalled that those were what she gave to police so that the scent dogs could establish a scent to try to trace her. Prosecution, I believe, they asked if she was able to give the police a list of items that might have been in Holly's purse. And she said she was able to do that at the time because a lot of the things they had bought together and she kind of went through them shopping for these things. So I guess that's just to show that Holly's mom would know what these items are that they're about to show her. Yeah. I guess it also shows too how close they were that I don't think my mom would be able to say what was in my purse. So, you know, it goes to show how close they were. Yeah. Like I know she specifically was like talking about like a little pencil case and stuff. Mm. So they started showing her the belongings that they found that were Holly as they show her her lunchbox, her purse, her camera, her car keys, and her wallet. So I'll put in some clips here of them going over that. It's her lunchbox. Yes, ma'am. I want you to unzip it. when she's like taking out things from her lunchbox it's literally like the same lunch that she packed for her all those years ago so it started making her a little upset then they showed her holly's purse that was found with her body it's all deteriorated and she hasn't seen this i think since she last saw holly yeah show you one more item What is this? It looks like her purse. Is that her purse? It's her purse. The straps are gone, and did she recognize that as being hers? <laughs> that is her purse. It's very hard to look at all that stuff all tattered and torn. Because it didn't look like that that morning. But that's her purse. So she gets very upset, overwhelmed. And she says out loud to the judge that she's starting to feel sick. A nurse is called into the courtroom because she said she couldn't breathe. Um, You can hear her sobbing, gasping for air. So the jury sent out and the media is sent out. How long have an inhaler? Yes, yeah, she did. 
While that's happening, I guess this is not shocking. It's a normal thing that the defense would do. But the defense tries to get um, a mistrial because they're saying the jury can't be unbiased now, seeing her get so upset, which the judge denies and says it was a medical emergency. She, she had extremely low blood pressure and a high heart rate and that now she was fine and ready to continue testifying. She did talk about how she was given tips from the community, just basically small town gossip. And people did bring up Zach and Shane to her, but other people were brought up as well. So it's not like they were just singled out, but I guess the town generally knew that they were shitty people. So then after she testifies, Clint testifies, he recalled the morning that Holly went missing He said how he heard the voices, and he said that he automatically assumed this guy was Drew because he was the only male figure in Holly's life besides himself and his dad. So you're looking out of an interior window into the car. That's right. Is that right? That's right. Uh, Are you able to see anything? Well, I raised the blinds slightly, and I saw the silhouette of... Two individuals underneath that window knelt down. Was it dark in that carport, or was the light? It was fairly dark. There were blinds down in the uh, window. Yes. Did you pull them all the way up, or did you? Just... No, I very slightly opened one of the blinds enough where I could see out. Why did you do it like that? Because I heard the voices out in the carport. At this time in the morning, you've just woken up, right? That's right. What are the voices today? Well, it was a male's voice and a female's voice. Did you actually recognize either of the two voices? At first, I didn't recognize either voice, but as I listened for just seconds, I could recognize my sister's voice and what I thought was her boyfriend Drew's voice. Why did you think it was her boyfriend Drew's voice? Well, because he was the only male figure in Holly's life besides myself and my dad. So you were making an assumption. That's right. So he said from the window, he could also only see like the tops of their heads and not their faces, which is why, again, he didn't know that it wasn't Drew. He actually texted his mom first when he saw this before she called him. But since she works in a school, she didn't have her phone on her. So he texted her asking if um, if Holly like didn't have school today because she was with Drew and he was confused about it. Um, they talk about how he 
eventually noticed that the sky was larger and wider than Drew, which led him to believe that maybe it was their cousin Richie and maybe that they were going into the woods to see a turkey because he also likes to hunt. So his mind just kind of seemed to be making up like any other reason possible. Yeah, I can see that that's just a automatic response. Yeah. You know, like, I know we've spoken about how a lot of people have said, is it suspicious or why didn't he do anything? But I can also see why he didn't and why he, you know, was trying to think of any other scenario than what it actually was. Mm-hmm. He also said that um, it looked like the man had a deer grunt call in his hand, which if you're like me, you have no idea what that is. So I Googled it. Yeah. It's, I guess it's what you call deer with, but it does. It, yeah. It looks like a gun shape. Like it's a kind of a pipe. It's like a with handle. A wooden, yeah. A wooden mouthpiece or something on the end. Maybe I might be totally wrong, but that's what it looks like to me. So yeah, it's got like a little handle and it's curved into a flat long piece. So it's like you'd hold a gun with the flat bit on the top. Yeah. So yeah, that's why I'm guessing the reason the prosecution brought this up is because they have a possible gun as a murder weapon and He's saying it looks like he had this deer grunt call, which could look like a gun. Yeah. I can definitely see from a distance how. Yeah. Especially if it was like all black. Look like a gun. So he said, after he got phone his mom, he decides to go investigate. He dilly dallied a little because it was cold out. So he had to go put on some clothes. He got his phone. He did get a gun. What do you do? I opened the door and I felt how cold it was and I realized I'm in my pajamas so I went and put on some pants and a jacket and some socks and a pair of shoes and then I went out the back door. Gone or no gone? No, I also went I also went and grabbed the 38 Colt revolver before I went out the door and I also had my cell phone. Got dressed, got a phone, and got a gun. I guess I'm going to go and look and walk up to the logging road to see if I can see them or hear them. What do you do? I walk out and I look to my left where they were knelt down under that window and there's a pool of blood in the garage. What are you thinking at this point? I'm really, I'm even more confused because I'm thinking now if it is Drew or if it is Richie, they've killed a turkey. They brought it up here to the house and laid it on the carport, and it's been bleeding. And you're still not thinking that some man or some <laughs> men came to your house that morning and abducted your sister and dragged her off in the woods? Absolutely not. Had that even crossed your mind at all? No. He said he walked around outside, but didn't see Holly or the man anymore. And then their neighbor, Kathy Weiss, pulled up. She told him she heard screaming, and that's when he called 911. His mom got there. She was very frantic and upset, as we said. So then the prosecution brings up the point that this guy that that he described doesn't look like Zach Adams. But they said it could look like Shane Austin. Because like we said, Zach was very tall and skinny at the time this happened from all the meth. But Shane yeah. was a little bit heavier. Chunkier. So they're trying to, I guess, get in front of the defense saying that this guy doesn't fit Zach's description. Um, the prosecution also specifically asked Clint if the deer grunt call could have been a gun. And he said, thinking back on it, yes. 
there's photos of the blood in the garage. It's not a lot of blood. Like it's a one kind of larger blob, for lack of a better word, and then lots of little droplets. So it doesn't like it looks like it could have been a very bad bloody nose. Or it's also weird. You know, it does like big spot. It's not like spattered. Like it's literally like a big drop. Yeah, it's a it's a puddle, like a little, yeah. like a small like I don't puddle. know what that so it doesn't how that yeah, much would have happened. Like if you got a cut on your nose because people like they speculate that she got hit in the head or something when she walked out yeah. maybe she could have been like bending over like you know i don't know as oh he reflex, did say that they were kneeling yeah i don't know so it does look like it's she's been in one spot long enough for a small puddle like it does like if you looked at that you wouldn't say oh my gosh someone's died there's so much blood no. but there is a one kind of smallish puddle so looks like yeah, it's maybe probably it the size her of nose it. or something and they were bending down yeah I think that could explain it if that's what happened. Yeah. Otherwise, I don't know how else you'd explain that. No, it's definitely weird. So other things from day one that were of note, one of the neighbors testified to hearing um, slightly more than a scream. They said that they heard her saying, stop it, damn it, stop it. Um, The defense brought up the fact that the same neighbor was among several people who were suspects at one point. Supposedly, the dogs tracked her scent to his house that day, and the police hounded him for months trying to get him to confess. Another neighbor saw a white truck driving extremely fast down the road that morning. And then the defense also made a point to say that Clint was also pressured by police and treated as a suspect early on. It seems like the defense is trying to say that the police were just (laughs) pressuring people into confessing. Anyone that was in the area. Yeah. Trying to make that reasonable doubt. Also, it can be noted that Zach gained a ton of weight. I'm not body shaming or anything, but holy shit, he looks like a totally different person. He now has gone from a meth addict to like a middle-aged man who enjoys no exercise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he definitely does look like, you know, I can, I now when you see the side by side, you can tell it's the same guy, kind of, but yeah. You could see it in like his nose said, oh, that's not Zach. and his eyes, but. Yeah. He looks like doughy. Like a he bit looks like, like, you know. I don't know the right. <laughs> if you touched his face, it wouldn't spring back out. He's just all doughy, like a big dough ball. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> that's, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really matter but yeah you can tell that he's obviously off the drugs in jail yeah it's, it's I, I don't even bring it up because it's like a shocking difference yeah definitely second day of trial um the jury heard from law enforcement and some experts to recap the investigation a little bit there's lawrence james a forensic expert from the tbi he said there was 50 to 60 drops of blood found in the bobo's garage and that's some of it that they tested matched Holly's DNA. A Tennessee Highway Patrol trooper, Warren Rainey, he remembered the 18 months he spent looking for Holly and assisting with the investigation. He said he spoke with Zach about a week and a half after Holly went missing and that he was visibly shaken. He also said that he would have done anything to find Holly. But the defense countered what he said about Zach being obviously nervous. They said that Zach was acting weird because, well, he's a drug addict and that's what drug addicts do. I guess it was also noted that Zach had two long scratches on his arms a few days after Holly went missing, but the defense said that was from him fleeing from police on that April 4th incident where he got 
pulled over in the Natchez whatever state park and tried to run from police. So they have a a reason for everything. (laughs) The bigger testimony from the second day was Zach's ex-girlfriend, Rebecca Earp, testified for nearly two and a half hours. So in 2011, she defended Zach, but once he was arrested, her attitude changed and she claims it was because she was afraid of him. But the defense is trying to say that the TBI openly threatened to take away her child if she didn't cooperate. I know that um, in the group we've been speaking about this case because we knew the podcast was coming out and a lot of people have said that the TBI are the ones who have totally just screwed this up. So, you know, and I don't know if this is true mm-hmm. about taking the child away, but that might work towards supporting that theory if it is. Yeah, it seems kind of like that's what generally the def- defense was going for. They were just pressuring mm-hmm. all these people to get the narrative they wanted. Yeah. Um. So some highlights from what she said. She confirmed that Zach was generally angry, violent, and heavily addicted to drugs. She said one night she was cooking dinner at his house and a story about Holly came on the news. Shane Austin was also there and he allegedly smirked and started laughing. She recalled Zach saying, quote, they'll never be able to find her. Um, Another thing she said was that her and Zach got into a fight and he said he would tie her up just like he did Holly Bobo and nobody would ever see her again. Um, Another time they were at Zach's friend's house and he and this friend had a blue plastic bin that they were going to take to Birdsong Bridge. And apparently they said out loud, everything was ready to go dispose of Holly's body. But then later they told her that it was just meth garbage and it was a joke to see if she would call the TBI, which is very weird. (laughs) So the day that Holly went missing, Zach said that he woke up around 10 o'clock, 10.30, and was alone at his house. That would obviously mean that he couldn't have abducted Holly because this happened around 8 a.m. So according to Zach, he was still sleeping. But Rebecca said in her testimony that Zach hadn't slept that night, actually, and he woke her up at 6.30. She was at his house, saying that he was going to haul scrap, whatever that means, (laughs) with Victor Tinsmore. (laughs) Records show he didn't go to the scrapyard that day. She also said on that day that Zach called her at some point from Dylan's phone, which would show that they were most likely together at some point. Then that evening, Rebecca said Zach showed up at her job and she noticed three long scratches on his neck. She also said that she introduced Zach to Holly and Holly's cousin Natalie, but Natalie and Zach apparently had hooked up a few times. So she knew both of them because she worked at a combination video store tanning salon that they went tanning at, which is something I've never heard of. She must know Madison Bell. Well, I don't remember where Madison Bell went missing. It was some random general store slash yeah. tanning place. So I just imagine them having like one tanning bed like in a corner. <laughs> you just have to, <laughs> while everyone's just doing their shopping or whatever, you can just lie down and get a tan. Doing their video renting. <laughs> So the defense basically just discredited her entire timeline, says it's heavily flawed because of drug use and all the time that's passed. They tried to convince the jury that she wasn't remembering correctly because the phone records that she's referring to don't match. There's no record of Dylan's phone calling her that day. She also said that she spent the night at Zach's, but her phone records show that she was actually at her home that night. So they're basically just trying to say how... She's not remembering correctly. The white truck comes up again that a neighbor mentioned on day one that they saw it like fleeing the area around the time. Christy Clenny, another neighbor, said two to three weeks before 
she saw a white truck idling on the road and slowly driving up and down the street. So maybe that was the same person like canvassing the area, mm-hmm. which leads to the bigger question of, does Zach have a white truck? And he does, or mm. did. What a coincidence. But the defense is that after the incident on April 4th, the truck was impounded. The truck was then collected by Zach's grandfather, who actually owned the truck. And his grandfather apparently didn't give the car back to him for some time. Rebecca remembers him having the truck that day when he came to fight with her at her job. But the defense is claiming he did not have access to the truck at that time. So third day of trial, mainly focused on forensics, Holly's belongings and remains being found, things like that. So her body was found with her purse, but her lunchbox, cell phone, and her SIM card, which was separate from her phone, and a school receipt were all found kind of thrown around random roads and creeks just all about town. The receipt in particular, though, was found very close to where Shane Austin lived. The TBI confirmed through testimony that it was Holly's skull, teeth, ribs, and a piece of her jaw that were found. Uh, They show photos of her skull, which has a very clear hole in the back of it. A forensic pathologist, Marco Ross, who was involved in Holly's autopsy, said the gunshot was so powerful it caused part of Holly's jaw to disconnect from her skull. He also said that the bullet hole could not have been made by anything larger than a thirty-two caliber weapon but could have been caused by something smaller. It's a sad photo. You can see like there's literally just a hole in the back of her head, which is I remember when terrible. they first found her skull and they were just generally talking about it before the trial, they said that there was like a small indentation from a bullet possibly. But, like this is like a blatant hole. Yeah, like there's no doubt what this is. Like there's not there's nothing else that could be. It's a hole in her head. Yeah. So near her remains, her wallet was also found, which still had her driver's license. Her wallet was found a little further uphill and was covered in animal bites. So safe to assume that animals got to her remains, which is terrible. Larry Stone also testified this day. He's the one that found her remains. That I played a clip of him talking in the last episode. Some back and forth that I took note of between him and the prosecutor. He said, I saw another ginseng plant. But then something caught my eye. The prosecutor says, okay. Larry says, <laughs> then I walked. I said, first thing out of my mind, you know, I got coon dogs and I use buckets for water buckets. I don't really know. Apparently he has a really heavy, I think Larry, he has a really heavy accent apparently yeah. also. So I was going to say, I think Larry's the type who likes a chat. <laughs> oh yeah. I remember when I was <laughs> trying to find clips of him talking, I saw on Reddit and facebook that people were upset because of how much he was talking about it and everyone was saying they want him to shut up because i guess he did a few interviews and just had a lot to say about it taking these 15 minutes and running with it yeah especially with this bucket (laughs) nonsense so the prosecutor says so you saw a bucket and he says yep so i walk over to the bucket i picked it up and then a feeling come over me something just told me to turn around and i'm sitting there the whole time in my head why is a three-gallon bucket sitting here upside down in the woods? So I went with my instinct, and the feeling hit me, said, turn around, and then that's when I found what I found. The prosecutor says, what did you find? And he says, Holly's remains. <laughs> so like I was saying, the big letdown of the day was that he never said what was in the bucket. We still don't know what was in the bucket, and it still annoys me to this day. Anyone who followed that case closely, I wonder why. if you bring up the bucket, 
No one knows and everyone's upset. Why wouldn't they just say to him what was in the bucket? Why wouldn't they push to find out? Like surely if it was so terrible and, you know, whatever, it could have been something related to the case. I just don't understand why they didn't push it and say, what did you find in the bucket? I feel like it was nothing and he just had like that moment of, you know, when you feel like something bad's about to happen, like instinctively, I feel like he just had that feeling and that's why, I don't know. Yeah, that could explain but it. He, like, so the bucket wasn't all that bad, but the bucket was the precursor to him finding the yeah, remains. Yeah, so I don't maybe. know if it was just misconstrued by media outlets or, you know, like game of telephone, like one person says yeah. it, another person says it. But even in the clip that I used in the last episode, it was from like a news report. And then at the end of the report, the journalist, as they're segueing into another news story, <laughs> I can't find words today. He says, he even brings up that, Larry found something in the bucket, but he's not allowed to say what it is, which seems pretty specific. (laughs) And then I know over time people speculated that maybe it was part of her remains in the bucket. Maybe there's blood in the bucket. Maybe her clothes were in the bucket. Maybe her wallet was in the bucket. But half of those things you get an answer to because he says he turns around and saw her skull and that the rest of her remains were scattered on the ground. And her wallet was found uphill. I think if it was her remains... He would have said, like, there's blood in the bucket or there was, you know, whatever in the bucket. But... It's just weird and annoying. <sighs> Who knows? If anyone knows, let us know. I remember waiting for this trial being like, oh, yeah, I'm going to find out what's in this bucket finally. But nope. <laughs> so anyways, day four of the trial. Day four is actually a big day because that is when Jason Autry was called to testify. So I'm just going to go through his story, mm-hmm. basically, of the day. He began telling the jury that he was promised nothing for his testimony and hoped his testimony would provide leniency in terms of his own case. Is that what you're going to do today? I'm here to testify to the truth. Despite your background, which has admittedly been bad, right? Correct. Are you going to tell these 15 people the truth? Yes, I am. And this is something... I need to clarify, actually, he was offered federal immunity to testify against Zach, but he's still going to trial also for this. So I guess it's just kind of like a deal to get a less shitty sentence, but he's not just out of jail free. So that's why he says that at the beginning. Um, He also did tell him that he was addicted to Vicodin, meth, and morphine. So on the morning of April 13, 2011, Jason was trying to get his hands on some morphine. Sometime after 8 a.m., he got a hold of Zach. Zach told him he was busy, but he'd call him back in a bit. Apparently five minutes later or so, Zach calls him back and told him to head over to Shane's house because he needed his assistance and he could get drugs from them. When he, when he, when he called me back, he said, I need to see you. I need your help. And then told you, is that the first time or the second time? The second time. I talked to him first and they were busy. The second time he told me where he was at and he needed my assistance. And when he said, I need your help, what what did you think he meant at that point? What did you think the problem was? I thought a batch of meth was locked up. Meaning something in the cooking process was... Meaning it had gained moisture and stopped making. Okay. And so... Was that fine with you to go help him with a batch of meth? I was under that assumption, and it was. Okay. So he heads over there. 
When he got there, he saw Dylan Adams burning items in a large barrel, Zach Adams standing by his pickup truck, and Shane standing in the doorway of his home with a shirt off yelling, y'all need to get the hell out of here. (laughs) I can just imagine that. Quite the scene. (laughs) Jason bought some morphine from Shane and he shot it up. Bought a morphine, 100 milligram. Walked directly back to the PT Cruiser, broke it in half, cooked it down and shot it. A few minutes later, I got out and walked back to the four before Nissan where Zach was standing at the door and he said, I need you to help me bury this body. And I told him, I said, yeah, damn, I hate that y'all killed little Jojo. He said, Jason, he said, or he said, train. He didn't say Jason, my nickname was train. He said, train, that's Holly Bobo. Jason, he initially assumed it was someone that owed them drug money or something. And that's when Zach says, it's not, it's Holly Bobo. Jason didn't know who that was, but he said he'd help anyways. Let's be honest. Did you really care one way or another about the body that was in the back of the truck? I did not. Describe for the jury where the body was and what you did after that. The body was laying in a multicolored farm blanket, farm-style blanket. It looked like multiple colors. Wrapped in the blanket, laying up against the back. Say the truck is sitting here, it's laying against the back. Instead of laying long ways, it's laying this way. From the moment you figured out that he he wanted help with Holly versus help with the batch of mess, were you willing? Yes, I was. So they got into Zach's truck to look for a good spot when they realized they didn't have any tools to bury a body. What are you going to do? As we got going down the road, I brought it to his attention that there were no shovels or pickaxes in the truck. How are we going to bury a body with no shovels or pickaxes? He looks at me and like he's lost. And I said, I don't know of nowhere a man can just pull up and get a shovels and pickaxes with a dead body in the vehicle. I told him that some years back that I had been underneath Interstate 40 Bridge and there was a body floating. And I told him, I said, the only thing holding the body up was the intestines. And we set a course that direction. Why did you mention a body floating? What did you talk about specifically? What was your plan of disposing of Holly's body? It was to gutter, put her in the deep end of the slough. I told him, I said, you put her in the deep end of that slough, turtles and shit, ate it up, just like that. Good plan, good plan. <laughs> worked, well, worked well for them. When they arrived at their destination of choice, they removed the body from the bed of his truck. Jason said he spotted a small amount of blood in the truck that was maybe the size of an orange. He never looked into the blanket, but he said he had the head part and Zach had the feet part. He saw Holly's foot moved and heard a noise come from the blanket. I see the foot move, a movement, and a, a sound of distress. 
that sound like hmm come out of the void. Come out of come from the blanket. At that time I walked to the door, to the passenger side door of the pickup, and Mr. Adams was digging in a fanny pack. I told him, I said, this fucking bitch is still alive. We just stopped for a second. I walked to the front of the truck, and I told Jack, I said, she's heard my name called and heard me talking and all. At that time, he wheels around, walks back to the driver's side pickup, out of the floorboard of the pickup, he pulls a pistol, the same pistol that was hosted on Mr. Austin's side at 30 Alice Springs Road. And I said, whoa. Jason ran up the road to make sure no one was around, and Zach shot Holly in the head. After hearing what they thought was a boat on the river, the two panicked, put her body back in the truck, and ran, out, ran away. So during their ride home, Jason asked Zach about Holly. Zach said that Natalie Bobo was, quote, fucking him, and suggested that they have a threesome with Holly. Natalie was also a drug addict. She apparently had sex with people for drugs. Once they got back to Zach's, Jason went home, and he didn't really know what happened to Holly after that. He said after that, he tried to put some distance between himself and Zach, but needed a fix later that day and called Zach anyways. So not much distance there. Jason went to pick up Zach so that they could meet up with Victor Dinsmore to buy pills. When he pulled up to Zach's, he saw Shane, Dylan, and Zach standing near Shingen's truck, and he could tell that they'd been arguing. The group of them got into Zach's truck so they could go meet up with Victor. As they arrived at Victor's, Zach and Shane started arguing. Shane said, you didn't have to kill her, to which Zach replied, you're just as damn guilty, you hit it. One of them said they'd whoop the other one's ass, Jason didn't remember who said what, and Zach ended up punching Shane. So the two began to fight, but then Victor came out and broke it up. They bought their drugs and left. Two days later, Jason met up with Zach at a gas station to give him meth. Jason asked what he ended up doing with Holly's body. Zach told him he threw it out near Kelly Ridge. At the same time, Zach was venting to him about being irritated because Dylan wasn't sleeping and he kept going on and on about Holly and what happened. He was starting to worry that it was going to get them into trouble. Zach asked Shane if he would kill Dylan. In exchange, he would give him some of the money Zach was going to get when his grandfather passed away and that Jason could live in one of the houses on their property. Jason thought about it, but told him ultimately he couldn't kill Dylan. Sometime in 2012, Jason and Zach were doing meth together, and Jason said it seemed like they'd gotten away with this, and he asked what happened to Holly that day. Zach said they went to Holly's to show Clint how to make meth. They were there too early and ran to Holly when she was leaving, and she started screaming and raising hell, so they took her. Jason asked Zach if he really raped her. He said it was quick because someone was mowing the lawn outside. <laughs> Jason asked how he could do it with two other guys there, and Zach said Dylan sucked them off to get them hard before <sighs> they raped Holly. They're so disgusting. Like, I know, I don't even know if that's true. It probably isn't, but they're just so, ugh. just the whole telling of the story is repulsive. Yeah. Apparently, the rape happened in Shane's grandmother's barn. But the defense then said on behalf of Zach 
specifically about his brother sucking his dick that that didn't happen and that that was just Jason's way of trying to piss off Zach. So apparently Dylan actually told Jason a lot of details, but he wasn't allowed to share them with the jury. I don't really know the logistics behind that, but I'm guessing it's yeah, strange. hearsay or, or I don't know if it's because Dylan's going to have a trial or if anyone has any insight to that, feel free to let us know because mm-hmm. I don't know. So then the defense to try to disprove Jason's credibility, he, they had him draw out all the various routes they drove on maps and things like that to try to see if he remembered. I know people also said that he obviously had rehearsed this with the prosecution and the answers to his questions and things like that. But when the defense asked him like smaller things about the day, like, oh, what did Zach say to that? Or how did so-and-so feel about this? He would just be like, oh, I don't know. So on the fifth day of trial, Special Agent Brent Booth admitted that the TBI did make several mistakes during the investigation. He said, we made mistakes that I'll carry with me for the rest of my life. So those mistakes included not following up with alibi witnesses for Zach Adams, Jason Autry, and Shane Austin, and Dylan Adams. They included, quote, tearing apart Terry Britt's life, a sex offender who lived near the Bobo home and whose house was searched early in the investigation. It also included not searching the barn near Shane Austin's home, which his grandmother owned. By the time the TBI did go to the barn, it was demolished. I just looked up Brent Booth, who was the one who said he made all the mistakes, just to see what, you know, what had come of him, if anything had happened. Mm-hmm. And in 2018, he received TBI Agent of the Year. Oh. So, yeah. So clearly, you know, and I, I think it's great of him to admit that he made the mistakes. And, you know, I know everyone is human and they're not superheroes or they can only do what they can do. But I just found that was interesting. And there really was no concrete evidence pointing to them. Ooh. So it's not like they had this like smoking gun and they ignored it. And I could imagine too, they would have been under, which I'm sure they are anyway, but under a ton of pressure to get this solved because it was such a close knit community. Mm -hmm. And if these people are, obviously we don't know what went on behind closed doors with coercion and things like that, but if they're all admitting to these things, what else can you do? You've got to run with it, I guess. Mm-hmm. So as you know, obviously you need to investigate and all that too. I'm not saying just run with whoever says that, but there was a lot going on. So, mm-hmm. um, so that same day, a man named Brian Vitt testified. He lives near Shane and Jason's grandmother. He said that day. Oh, so I guess it's Jason's grandmother that owns the barn, because him and Shane are cousins. Yeah, small town problems. <laughs> So anyways, Brian Vitt said that he was mowing his lawn between 8 a.m. and 8.30, and he could see the barn from his property. He admits that he didn't hear or see anything suspicious, but it is interesting that he was mowing his lawn because Zach told Jason, apparently, that the rape was short because someone was outside mowing the lawn. So those, those link up. Victor Dinsmore finally testifies. He is the one who actually led the prosecution and the police to the gun that they ended up finding before the trial. It's believed to be the murder weapon, but because of really the age of it and it was in water, it was super rusted. So there wasn't any blood or evidence or anything on the gun. Victor testified under a federal deal granting him immunity. 
from gun charges because he isn't allowed to have a gun because he is a convicted felon. He said that he was on disability the time that Holly disappeared and he was selling morphine to make money. So he claims that he sold morphine to Zach and the other defendants, but specifically Shane traded 12 morphine pills with him for the gun. So Victor planned on selling the gun, but he ended up giving it to his wife for protection. He later realized that the gun might have been the gun used to kill Holly, and he told his wife to dump it in a creek in 2011. Then in 2013, Victor told the TBI where the gun was, and that was where they found it. So day six of the trial, witnesses included a woman who cleaned the house that Victor worked at. So that is where um, the day that Shane and Zach got into the fight when they met up with Victor to buy drugs, that was the house that they went to. So she testified that she did see them all on that day. TBI assistant special agent in charge, Mike Frizzle, who specializes in cell phones, showed the locations of Holly's, Zach's, and Jason's phones on the morning of April 13th. The locations place Holly and Zach's phones in Yellow Springs community after Holly's abduction and place Zach's and Jason's phones near the Tennessee River around the time that Jason said that they attempted to dump Holly's body. That last day, that was the last day that the prosecution called witnesses and then they rested their case. So days seven and seven through nine of the trial, the defense focuses on their witnesses. So for these two days, the defense turns the jury's attention into a different narrative. They speculate about Terry Britt and what if Terry Britt had done this, who is someone that a lot of people think could have actually done this still to this day. So former TBI lead investigator Terry Dickus testified, and he said that he had no reason to believe Zach abducted Holly, and he was certain that Terry Britt was responsible. But former special agent in charge of the TBI's criminal investigation division, Jack Van Hooser, was called as a rebuttal witness, and he reminded the jury that Terry Dickus was actually taken off of Holly's case and ended up leaving the agency because he had gone off the rails when crazy apparently september 20th both sides get their closing statements just summing everything up which brings us to friday september 21st the jury's deliberations begin on friday evening after 11 hours the jury returned a verdict of guilty on all charges against zach adams in the kidnapping rape and murder of holly the charges again are first degree murder aggravated kidnapping especially aggravated kidnapping with injuries First-degree murder, rape, aggravated rape by force with a weapon, aggravated rape with bodily injury, aggravated rape by force by one or more persons, and first-degree murder premeditated. Makes me wonder how they came up with some of these. Like, mm. if are they just going off of what Jason said? Like, rape with a weapon. Like, how do you know that? Yeah, well, there wouldn't have been – it doesn't sound like there would have been any actual evidence of a rape. They couldn't, yeah. like, based on how they the never found, found the video. So. Um, apparently when the verdict was read, Zach sat trembling with a pale face and he was told not to react by his attorney. Next day, Saturday, September 22nd is Zach's sentencing. So he was up for the death penalty. So the jury would decide if they felt he should get the death penalty or what his sentencing should be. But the prosecution, the defense came to an agreement that 
Zach would have life without parole plus 50 years instead of the death penalty, so it didn't have to go to the jury. Even though his charges were agreed upon, Holly's mother still took the stand to give her victim's impact statement. But I would like for Mr. Adams to look at me when I speak to him. I know that my daughter fought and fought hard for her life. Can you back up just a little bit so I can, he can look at me? And I know that she begged for her life because my daughter loved and enjoyed life. But you chose to take that from her. And you have shown absolutely, look at me please, you have shown absolutely no remorse for anything that you have done. That happened in 2017. Nothing has really happened between then and this year. Everyone suspected that Zach was going to appeal this. In March of this year, his attorney filed an appeal on his behalf asking for a new trial. She cited that there was 56 mistakes that were made during the trial, including the county not being far enough away to have an impartial jury, and that the judge, Judge McGinley, should have recused himself after telling the defense to hurry up and to move on. So it came out today, actually, that he is was granted an appeal hearing for some time in August of this year. Hopefully that doesn't get delayed or anything. So interested to see what happened. Bert Scott Staggs, who I've spoken about, he made um, a post on Facebook going into a little more detail about the appeal and things surrounding that. So I'm going to read that because it gives some good insight. Um, he said... I spoke to Judge McGinley's office this morning, and they confirmed that the trial transcripts are complete. Zach Adams was convicted in September 2017 for the 2011 kidnapping, rape, and murder of Holly Bobo. Why are the transcripts important? Because the appeals can't proceed without them. Why is that important? Since Zach Adams is doing life plus... Because until Adams' appeals have been heard, the state will most likely not hear the case against the third-party charged Jason Autry. Autry was given federal immunity and apparently has a deal in place with prosecutors. Autry was the state's star witness. He told the jury that he saw Zach Adams shoot the Decatur County nursing student in the head. So what happens now? Jennifer Thompson, Adams' attorney, will most likely review the transcript and file her appeal and ask for a new trial based on possible mistakes the judge made in the case. Based on things that are in the court documents, Thompson will most likely argue that her client didn't get a fair trial because the judge had a high-profile case to close, and they were very close to where this happened, so it felt like there was a lot of pressure on him to just be done with it. One document says that 91% of the jury had knowledge of the trial. A prosecutor told me that having knowledge of something did not disqualify a person from serving on the jury, that bias is what you're looking for in ruling out a juror. Thompson will likely argue that the judge was biased as the case progressed. The defense asked the judge to recuse himself on more than one occasion. The state, of course, will argue that none of these things prevented Adams from getting a fair trial. A time frame is unknown for the first appeal, which will be heard in Hardin County. That will be based on the court's calendar. Early 2020 it would be the most likely time frame. So like we said, it's going to be in August. After that appeal, if no new trial is granted, the case will go to the Tennessee Criminal Court of Appeals, the Tennessee Supreme Court, and then make its way through the federal system. 
Most likely that is when Jason Autry will be brought back to court to be sentenced for his part in Holly's death. Why wait? The state will not want Autry to get amnesia. Why does that matter? If Adams were to gain a new trial and Autry has been sentenced, then Autry could say that his memory of how things happened has changed. That could pose a problem for the state. Dylan Adams pled guilty to reduce charges and received a 35-year prison sentence. I know I mentioned in the first episode that Holly's mom tried to lie about her age to get out an Amber Alert, which prompted what is now known as the Holly Bobo Act. So it was from March 2020 was the last update on that. So the Tennessee legislated passed the Holly Bobo Act. The act will allow the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation to issue endangered person alerts for any missing person under 21. So the current alert is only for children under 18. Uh, So that's one good thing that has come from this terrible situation. So, I mean, as far as the story so far, that's really it. I mean, maybe if the appeal happens, we can do another episode on that. But the appeal does make me a little nervous because I feel like he could get get off it does sound like there was a lot of fuck-ups like a lot of mistakes a lot of things that shouldn't have happened and a lot of things that were maybe borderline should have been let through and were like so I feel like he probably does have a half decent case for an appeal yeah I feel like just to say my opinion I do feel like Zach and them were involved in her death and kidnapping like I think things like the cell phones and just small little things like that I just feel like it was them, but I can still say that I don't think the prosecution believed that without reasonable doubt. And I I think I said I followed this case from when it happened, and I didn't really dig along the years too deeply into who was responsible. I just kind of went with it, that it was Zach and all that. But in the group, I know that they've been talking about a lot of a lot of people don't think it was Zach. So a lot of them think that it was actually Terry Britt, who was mm-hmm. that rapist, convicted rapist that we spoke about. So I tried to have a look and find out why people thought that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found a good article by WSMV, which is from 2017, where they kind of list all the reasons why it could have been Britt so, and why it wasn't Zach. So they're saying, which I know I've seen people mention as well, that Zach's phone pinged far away from Holly Bobo's at the time. Mm-hmm. It says that Zach was at a gas station the, the morning that Holly vanished and he recalled seeing several law enforcement vehicles standing by, sorry, speeding by, and they've actually confirmed that by CCTV pictures, which is a little bit weird. Mm-hmm. And this is why the FBI, sorry, former TBI investigator Terry Dickus during the trial so that he didn't think that Zach was involved and he thought it was Britch. So his reasons were Brit Matt the description of the suspect he'd been accused of stalking several women including one who resembled holly and clint even picked brit's voice out of a lineup and then they talk about brit's alibi whereas where the tbi investigator says his main alibi was his wife which ordinarily that's not a bad alibi that's what most people have but his wife had been with him on more than one occasion where he picked up a woman and got accused of trying to sexually assault her when I interviewed Britt, that was something. He just stared like, you got me. 
And I did have a look on Reddit quickly as well just to see if there was anything, you know, what what the chat was there about why it was Terry. And they're saying because he was proven and convicted of being a sexually violent criminal, being convicted of kidnapping, and they said more than once before, Zach's record was all violence but nothing that seemed sexually motivated. It's all basically related to drugs up until Holly. So it's a little bit strange that his, if it is him, that his MO changed all of a sudden. Yeah, I mean... I don't know. And like, I, I don't think from what I've seen that there's any concrete evidence that really puts Terry near at the scene of the crime either. No. But it does sound based on those things that he could have been a very viable suspect. Yeah. I know that they said that they wiretapped his house and just couldn't get anything on him either. Someday, like, evidence comes out that it was Terry Britt. I wouldn't be like stunned like I wouldn't be like no it was definitely Zach even though no I agree like it it could honestly be either of them but some of the things with that Dylan said and like he in his confession he said that he saw Holly wearing a pink shirt and I'll try to find it again but I was doing research for this there is a clip actually I think it was during the trial when she's testifying they asked what Holly was wearing that day and she said it was a pink whatever brand shirt so, I mean, yeah, that could be a coincidence, but it is just, like, one of those things where you're like, well, that matches up. And just l- there's a lot of little things like that that make me think maybe the full story isn't exactly what happened, but I do feel they were involved. I just was reading more while we're talking about Terry Britt, and his nickname is Chester the Molester. Oh, my God. <laughs> who I gave know. him that Like, who calls him that? <laughs> I don't know. That's a Daily Mail article, so maybe you take it with a grain of salt. But I don't know. I, yeah, I'm the same. I think it could have been either of them. And I know some people in the group are very passionate that it was Terry Britt. It was absolutely Terry Britt, according to them, which it could have been. Like, I'm not saying there's no way he was involved or that he did it. I would like to know what the Bobo family think about all this. I I feel like they're on board with it being Zach. Like, I've never seen them say, we don't think the right person has been charged and all that stuff. Like I haven't seen him address it anywhere, but Zach apparently told Jason that they were at their house that morning because they were going to show Clint how to make meth. Yeah, I just, yeah, that's never, ever, I haven't seen that anywhere. Like only that one instance, I haven't seen it anywhere else. Yeah, so, I mean, Clint could testify to if that's true or not. Like were they going to be there to show you how to make meth i'm guessing he doesn't want to admit that but if they were that literally puts them there which would make more sense but it's also like you were just saying and like his mom was saying like yeah he is like a violent shitty criminal do you hear people like screaming outside it's very loud here today oh my god what is happening i can hear that now (laughs) no i couldn't hear it when you first said it is there like a crime happening outside it's a full moon that's why everyone's crazy Ugh. But anyways, like we were saying, yeah, Zach is like a shitty, violent criminal, but everything seems to be motivated by drugs, getting drugs, things like that. So even like what Jason said was that Zach said they went there to show Clint how to make meth. They ran into Holly as she was leaving and she started raising hell. Like, how does that prompt to kidnapping her and dragging her to the woods and doing whatever? Like, it just seemed like that would have escalated quickly for someone who has never murdered someone before. Maybe. Maybe that's if if that was the reason that they were coming to the house, that might have been why Clint 
has never mentioned that she was screaming and raising hell and all that. But I, I, I don't think, I really don't think that was the case. Just my personal view based on what we've read. But Yeah. But then if that's not the case, then it's like what else could Jason Autry be lying about? Mm. Another thought that I had, which I don't know if this is anyone else's thought or anything. I've put no research into backing up this theory. This is just going off of what Jason said. He said that at first Shane said to Zach, like, you didn't have to kill her. And then he ends up killing himself. And then the girl at the coon hunt dinner said that Shane was the one that was like weirdly staring at them a lot. It makes me wonder if yeah. like Shane had some weird crush on Holly, maybe like mentioned it. And that and kind of started all of this. Like, yeah. yeah. Not even that like he started it all. Cause I mean, from what I've seen, he seems like kind of a bitch, but <laughs> yeah. Like if he put the idea in their heads or something and they're like, Oh, well, if you want her, like we'll just go and get her. Cause he seemed to feel almost guilty about it or, I don't yeah, know if he took his, a little bit more. his own life because he felt guilty about that or if he was scared about getting caught or whatever, but could be any, many different things. That's really it. I think we hit on most of the major points um, throughout the two episodes. I know it is a lot of information and the trial was kind of hard to put. There's just so much information and I tried to link it together for everyone the best I could. There is a ton more. Like I said, if you're interested in it, you can check out Reddit. Um, It's recorded on YouTube. There's tons of things you can look at our blog. We also put all the photos and everything that was used at the trial. So if you want to see those, you can check them out at truecrimesociety.com. I would be interested to know what everyone thinks about if Zach did it, if the TBI kind of forced this narrative. If you think Terry Britt did it, if you think someone else did it, definitely make sure you're in our group so you could join everyone else chatting about it and let yeah, us we'd know. Love to hear. Next episode is supposed to be about the Todd family. Probably another two-part episode because as I'm sure most of you know, it's that a was a one. very big, involved, long case, but very interesting. Hopefully that will be the next episode. The way things go for us sometimes doesn't always go to plan. (laughs) Who knows? There might be some other big breaking news case, but that is our current plan. If you like the podcast, rate, review, subscribe. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell everyone. (laughs) And one other quick little exciting thing is that we are releasing our second round of merch this week. We're just finalizing what will be released. At this stage, it looks like it might be some pop sockets. Um, we've still got some shirts and you know things like that. So if you would be interested, check it out. It's all been finalized, but we'll make a post in the group and on the page as well. So if you'd like to grab some True Crime Society merch, now is your chance. We usually just do a limited run for a week or two, so make sure you don't miss out. Until next crime. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.